Thanks for downloading a 3CR podcast. 3CR is an independent community radio station based in Melbourne, Australia. We need your financial support to keep going. Go to www.3cr.org.au for more information and to donate online. Now stay tuned for your 3CR podcast. Welcome to another episode of Lost in Science. It is science on your radio device box or on the internet if you are streaming us, which you can do, of course, via 3cr.org.au. I don't know why I'm telling you this, you're already doing that. And if you're not doing that, then you probably listen to the radio and you're quite happy doing that. So let's just move on and forget I mentioned the whole thing. Uh, My name is Chris and today... I've got, um, I guess maybe it's a new feature. We've done Molecule in a Minute. We've done In Your Element. Have we done Planets before, Stu? We did. We did mention the Planets yeah. at some point. Have we got a name no, for I think, it? I think it was In Your Neighbourhood. In Your Neighbourhood? Well, to, you know, the planetary neighbourhood. Planets in a Pinch or something yeah, like that. Yeah, or, something. Yeah, rocks in your head. Whatever. <laughs> um, I am talking about a planet. I'm talking about the planet Mercury which uh, there's been a bit of focus of in the last couple of years. You may not have noticed it, but uh, look, it's been in the news again recently. So I thought I would give Mercury a bit of a shout out and say what's so special about the closest planet to the sun. Stu, what have you got for us? Well, I have got a molecule in a minute Uh and just just to, you know, fill in time. No, no, no. Um, But I'm going to be talking about uh, the most commonly consumed psychoactive drug in the world. You know what it is? No. Caffeine. Caffeine. Okay. Yeah. yeah. So I, was, oh, oh, I should have guessed that. I was you thinking should've, that. You should have guessed that. I was thinking that, but I didn't want to look stupid by saying the wrong thing. Uh, you can always edit it out. Yeah. Okay. Beth, what have you got for us? Well, apparently there are zombie bacteria out there. So we're talking the living dead, or in this case, really the dead dead bacteria that can then um, take down other bacteria even over and dead. over again, even though they are dead. So we're talking about antimicrobial agents and um, kind of pumped up with silver but so, more of that wow and you so can't, hang on are they are they zombie cannibal bacteria is well, that what you're saying well they're not that they're actually not the living dead they're really the dead dead i right. will tell i'll tell you all and and bacteria don't have heads you can cut off so and they're all yeah. brains so i don't know what they're gonna eat they're all brain they're no are they? brain i don't know anyway yeah it's, it's it's relative okay well we will find out about that very very shortly i'm sure uh on with the show Okay, yes, you are listening to Lost in Science, and I am talking now about the smallest planet in the solar system, after Pluto got bumped, Oh, now of that course. Pluto's gone, it's sad. I kind of really wanted to pipe You miss Pluto, Pluto, don't you? I miss, yeah. I miss Pluto a lot. So now Mercury is the baby of the family. It is the baby of the family. But look, it is it is significantly larger than Pluto. I think we have to point out. So Pluto yeah. was demoted to dwarf planet status yeah. for various reasons, one of which obviously being its size. So Pluto was, it has a diameter of 2,400 kilometers thereabouts. Um, that's actually less than the radius of Mercury. Mercury is twice as big as Pluto, more than twice as big as Pluto. The moon is about a diameter of 3,400 kilometres. So Pluto is smaller than the moon. 
Um, Can yeah. I just pipe in there and a bit of an aside, but yeah, sure. the, the images from New Horizons are coming back and you can sit there and watch Pluto and its moon. I think it's Sharon. Charon, Charon, or Charon yeah. um, go round Pluto, and I have to say it's quite mesmerising. You feel very oceanic with the solar system. I highly mm, recommend mm, mm, watching. Mm. You know, that. it's a GIF. Like it's not. I I it's know, a live oh, well, but even it, it does one full circuit. Yeah, it does. It so does. Yeah. it's you see, you get the you get the idea of the of the of what's going on there. Yeah, yeah. No, you're I quite right. It, it is working. Out. It is a good way to look at. But I'm I guess my, my point that I'm trying to make is that Mercury, um, it is. Well, the fact that Pluto was smaller than the moon kind of makes it seem a bit pathetic. Mercury is bigger than the moon. It's safe. Um, it's, it's, its diameter is about 4,800 kilometres, which is – well, Australia across is 4,000 kilometres. So it's bigger than Australia. Um, it's bigger than the continental US. I don't know. I can't really point to a thing that it's, it is about the same size. But it's big, I guess. But, it, what but it would fit in the Pacific. Yeah, it would fit in the Pacific. <laughs> yeah, yeah. If it – if you if you did that, okay. So that is that is Mercury, and as I said, it is the closest planet to the sun. It orbits the sun a distance distance of about between point three and point four of the 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 Earth's orbit. So it kind of has elliptical orbit, so it's not a constant distance from the sun. But it's, yeah, it's about that you know about a third of the way out from the sun towards the Earth. If you get out, get that picture in your head, okay. Um, it has been known since ancient times, so it's not one of the ones that, like Pluto or Neptune or I think the other one. Um, which is name I'm not going to say, um, that was discovered with telescopes. It was has been seen, you can see it in the sky. Um, and the the we have records from the Assyrians who basically called it the jumping planet. They had an Assyrian so name Mercury's for it. Mercury is the jumping planet or Uranus? <laughs> Mercury. <laughs> okay. Thanks. Thank you. Um, the Babylonians, the ancient Babylonians, called it Nabu, which was their name for their mess- messenger god. And, of course, the, um, the Romans, you know, gave it the name that we call it now, which is Mercury, who was also a messenger right, okay. of the gods. Uh, and it has been in the news recently due to the end, of, um, the end of the life of a space probe, also called Messenger. Um, this is a space probe sent up by NASA. Messenger is actually an acronym. It stands for Mercury Surface Space Environment Geochemistry and Ranging. So the geochemistry, the GE in there, we kind of cheat a little bit. Mm-hmm. Acronyms, fun things. Um, and yeah, and the Messenger probe, um, it crashed into the planet after finishing its, its mission finally on the 1st of May this year. And it really did a quite a crash landing, didn't it? It wasn't graceful. It just kind of smashed it in there. It smashed into it, yeah. Was yeah. it was it ever wasn't designed to land at all? Was it? No, no, no. In fact, it wasn't designed for to last anywhere near as long as it did. So, does this mean that there is now space junk on Mercury, or did it just kind of? Is it so hot? What's going to happen to it now? Well, there yes, there is space junk on Mercury, and there's been some concern about um, whether it would carry, say, bacteria from Earth sure. or life from Earth. Whether we are seeding the rest of the solar system? Of course, we don't really know. I mean, it's highly unlikely that there is life on Mercury. That's true. I mean, but DNA has been found on um, spaceships that have gone into space and back. So it's yeah, quite yeah. resilient like that. So It is. But, know. you know, it's not likely to survive no. and, and, and grow things on Mercury. No. So because Mercury is, it is, it is as I said, it's, fairly, it's a fairly small planet. It is also very close to the sun. Um, it was, as you can imagine, it's quite hot there. But Mercury has a very, very thin atmosphere, and as a result, it doesn't hold the heat very well. So at, in, the, in the daytime, it gets extremely hot. It gets up to about um, 427 degrees Celsius. But at nighttime, it gets down to minus 173 degrees. So there's a huge variation in temperature, not exactly good for okay, life. You there. would not be a happy camper. Yeah. But look, it is, um, what, what the, 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 um, the 
it's it's crashing will have done it'll be left a big crater so when they send out the next probe they'll be able to examine kind of what it the hole that it made uh and there is another probe um, a european japanese kind of joint expedition arriving in 2017 that is called um bepi colombo but uh yeah in the meantime we have a lot of data from messenger and uh, messenger did a lot of work um so it was not the first probe to go to mercury in the 1970s about 74 and 75 there was a spacecraft called mariner 10 which did three flybys of mercury but it kind of you know going past quite quickly did um took a few, take a few snaps really only got about half the planet that it saw whereas uh, messenger has been there for a few years so it was launched in 2004 it arrived at mercury in uh, 2011 in, in march 2011 and it uh yeah it was only supposed to go for about a year but then they extended its life because they wanted to see some solar um solar events and that sort of thing and it's only just finished now it's been sending back data until it yeah, it crashed in in may 2015 so it's gone about um do the math three years longer than they expected which is pretty impressive i think for a um for a little piece of of kit that they sent up there into space uh, now the kind of things that it's found it has found some surprising things apart from mapping the whole surface uh, quite thoroughly it has found some interesting things and one of the most uh, kind of surprising things was it found there was a lot of water on mercury a lot of water ice in particular so as i said you know at nighttime it gets very cold and some of the deep craters on mercury um, they're deep enough that they never get the sunlight in them and so you have ice at the bottom of these craters um, and like mercury of course is very pockmarked being closest planet to the sun it gets hit by all the things, basically. Uh, so it's been hit by a lot of stuff over its lifetime. And, yeah, it seems that's likely where the water came from because, of course, being that close to that sun when it formed, there wasn't a lot of water kind of sticking around and condensing on the planet, surface of the planet there. So what happens is what's also believed to have happened on Earth is that it got bombarded by comets and asteroids and things, each carrying water ice, and that has left that there on the planet. Um, there's other evidence for this in that um, there's some other chemicals that they've found traces of or evidence of on Mercury, things like um, potassium and sodium and chlorine, which would also evaporate quite well in that close to the sun, but they've been found on Mercury very close to the impact craters, so it looks like they've also been left there by um, things hitting Mercury. So that's one of the surprising things that it found. There's actually water on Mercury on the you know the hottest planet. Well the, well, the closest planet to the sun in the solar system. The other surprising thing that they found was that there was a quite a strong magnetic field. So it has a magnetosphere. It has, yeah, well, it has a magnetosphere. Um, and it was a surprise, um, mostly because that, well, to get a magnetic, um, a magnetic field, you basically need a liquid iron core. And mercury is so small that it wasn't believed that it could actually have you know, still liquid, that it would have cooled down and the, the core would be solid. Um, but they believe that possibly there's, this is evidence that there could be more radioactive elements, a higher level of radioactive elements in the core of Mercury that's keeping it hot um, than we have on Earth, which makes sense because, again, being so close to the sun, only the really heavy elements, you know, most really heavy elements condensed, so iron and also the heavier elements would have condensed that close to the sun. Everything else would have kind of been evaporated off. So yes, we have learnt quite a bit about um, about Mercury from uh, from the Messenger spacecraft. Um, yeah, so it has done quite a bit of good. Um, we do have obviously um, a big a big year to go 
uh, with with planetary exploration. As Beth mentioned before, the New Horizons spacecraft is going to arrive at Pluto in July this year. There is the Dawn spacecraft, which is currently getting pictures of the asteroid Ceres. Uh, but yeah, it's a bit of a shout out to, to Messenger. It did tweet. It's um its demise. I mean, when it actually crashed, it was out of view of the the Earth, so we didn't see its crash. But its last tweet said, "Well, I guess it's time to say goodbye to all my friends, family, support team. I'll be making my final impact very soon." So those are the last words of the valiant little space probe that smashed into into Mercury. traveling through another dimension, a dimension not only of sight and sound, but of mind, a journey into a wondrous land whose boundaries are that of imagination. That's the signpost up ahead. Your next stop. Lost in science. When most people think of psychoactive drugs, they probably think of illegal substances like LSD or cannabis derivatives or that sort of thing. But, in fact, the most commonly consumed psychoactive drug in the world is sold pretty much everywhere, um, and that is caffeine. So, so what do you mean by psychoactive, so that we know the kind of thing? Well, psychoactive about? just means it literally has an effect on your, you know, on your brain, right, on your okay. mind. Yeah. Um, and caffeine does. That's probably why it's sold everywhere. And, in fact... You Would know, you count, like, alcohol as psychoactive? Yeah, but it doesn't have a direct effect on the actions. It's not a chemical reaction with your brain. Okay. I mean, it is, but it sort of it just slows down everything. Yeah, alcohol. Okay. So, um, yeah, people do use a lot of alcohol, but they don't consider it uh, a psychoactive drug. Okay. Um, so caffeine was first isolated in 1819. It's pretty early um, chemical discovery by a German chemist called Friedlieb Ferdinand Runge. Hmm. Interesting name. How do you spell Runge? Uh, R-U-N-G-E. Okay. Um, though he called it Kaffee base, which he was identifying that it was a base, being alkaline, uh, that he found in coffee, which okay. in German is cafe. Um, it was later on that, not too much later on, a couple of years later that French uh, scientists discovered it. Uh, independently and caffeine. said, we call it caffeine yeah. uh, because it's from cafe. Uh, cafe in, in yeah. French is Apologies to all the French people out there. Who can speak a lot better than us. Same. Oh, sorry. Apologies to the Germans as well because my pronunciation's probably terrible. Um, so what is caffeine made of? Uh, well, it's elemental constituents are nitrogen, hydrogen, oxygen, carbon. No surprises like there. everything else. Like pretty much every organic molecule you ever come across. Um, and it's actually similar in structure to the bases adenine and guanine, which are found in RNA and DNA. Okay. So it's actually not much of a change to the molecule to make it uh, caffeine. Like I said, the, the G and A in, in Gattaca, basically. That's right. Yeah. That's right. Um, so it was widely used by people well before it was chemically identified. Um because it occurs naturally in tea and in coffee and in cocoa and a whole bunch of other plants throughout the world. Mm-hmm. So the plants, um, in, in the plants, it evolved as a kind of natural pesticide because it has an effect on the nervous system of animals that consume it, especially insects. So it oh. starts to affect their brains or their, or their nervous systems and they stop eating the plant. 
So it's pretty effective in that way. Um, I've certainly seen, um, oh, not quite insect, but an arachnid, those pictures of the uh, the spider webs that have been woven when the spider has been consuming caffeine and they're mm. very whack. Yeah, yeah. Uh, there's, there's a great series of experiments where they gave spiders all sorts of different things and the caffeinated spiders could barely function at all because they just sort of make these zigzaggy, mm. strange webs that yeah. don't will never catch anything. So those poor spiders will starve to death, presumably. But it's not, so it's not mean the plants, they instead go and eat almond biscotti or something, do they? <laughs> no. Um, but uh, while it does affect insects negatively, honeybees have been shown to have a positive reaction to caffeine. So they exhibit an improved memory response after exposure to pollen-containing caffeine, which would be an advantage to those plants that have caffeine. Uh, I guess bees the... are the ones that you don't want to scare off. Well, that's right. And if they can remember your plant better than any other plants, then they're more likely to come back and visit, carry yeah. the pollen around. So that's an added advantage. Keeps some insects away, makes the honeybees uh, pep up their act a little bit and um, do more uh, collection from your plants. Um, There is a strain of Pseudomonas bacteria that they have identified as being capable of living solely on caffeine. It's very fast moving. No, not really. Um, But yeah, if if there's nothing else to eat, it can actually break down caffeine directly and use that uh, as its only source of energy. But for most... It's infested middle in, in central Melbourne, that, that period. <laughs> it, didn't, it didn't evolve in the uh, cafe strips, you no. Can, you can tell it by its beard. <laughs> but for most, most living things, it's, it's more or less toxic. Um, but humans have known about the effects of caffeine for centuries without knowing what it was made of. And in China, they claim that they've been consuming tea since 3000 BCE. So, you know... 5,000 years, which is a a very, very long time. Um, That's very hard to verify, though. Um, But the reason caffeine was discovered in so many different forms all over the world is that it makes people who consume it more alert for a limited period of time after consuming it because it stops drowsiness. So under normal conditions, we accumulate a chemical called adenosine on receptors in our brain. And when we accumulate this adenosine, it creates cellular responses that make us feel drowsy and mm-hmm. want to fall asleep. Uh, so what caffeine does is it comes along and blocks up all those receptors so you don't accumulate the adenosine, so you don't get drowsy. All right. That's basically how it works. Um, now, this effect has been used. That, you know, you can actually buy drugs over the counter that's specifically designed to keep you awake. Very popular among students studying for exams. Probably not actually all that good for you in the long term. Um, But also caffeine has other effects as it breaks down in your body. So it dilates your veins, Mm -hmm. makes your veins get wider, uh, and it increases the availability of fats as energy sources. So you actually can get a boost of energy and more blood flow from caffeine as well as the non-drowsy effect that most okay. people would right. would associate with it. The interesting thing about caffeine absorption, though, is that it actually only becomes effective as a non-drowsy uh, agent somewhere between one and two hours after you've consumed the caffeine. So what's that, that jolt you feel when you have that espresso in the morning? It's probably just that it's hot and your body's right. reacting to it being hot. Um, and, you know, people who say, don't talk to me until after I've had my coffee – wait an hour until after they've had their coffee and then talk to them, and then it will actually be helping them be alert. Um, 
So there's a fair bit of placebo that goes along with coffee in the mornings mm. as well. I, I um, like, like everything else human beings do, there's a lot of psychology involved. Um, so toxic levels of caffeine are around 10 grams a day, which is an awful lot of caffeine because obviously caffeine is only present in very low doses. It's about 20 times higher than most people would normally consume in food and beverages. So most people consume far less than 500 milligrams a day. So 10 grams a day. milligrams is half a gram. Yeah. yeah. So you would have to have, you know, sort of, <clears throat> you'd have to have somewhere in the realm of 30 or 40 cups of coffee to be even getting close to uh, a toxic dose. Don't do that. Don't do that. It's probably not advised. Um, now, there are some other side effects. Apparently, it's widely considered that it acts as a diuretic, which means people urinate more frequently. Mm-hmm. Although this effect doesn't seem to affect people who uh, drink or consume regular doses of caffeine. and you actually, Your body actually adjusts to the, uh, to the effect of it and, and you don't actually have the diuretic effect. Um, it has been shown to have negative effects on people with anxiety disorders uh, and they're often advised to avoid high caffeine doses, which helps them avoid complications like panic attacks. Um, and pregnant women are advised to avoid it, although, it, you know, from what I could find, the evidence on the effects of caffeine during pregnancy are very sort of inconclusive and all over the place. But at the same time, we don't know for sure what the effects are. One of the things is that women's metabolisms are operating at not normal speed. not not average speeds yeah. and they might actually retain more of the caffeine than they would normally which could have deleterious effects on the baby but you know so basically people you know people are told don't have caffeine when you're pregnant because we don't know exactly what it's doing right um although they do sort of say these days that a cup of coffee a day is probably not going to do any harm but you know listen to your own doctor don't listen to uh generalists on the radio. So, yeah, that's a bit inconclusive, but there are 120,000 tonnes per year of caffeine estimated to be consumed globally, uh, and it looks like it's likely to remain the most consumed psychoactive drug in the world, uh, and it helps people get through their daily grind. Okay. Um, so if bacteria, for the most part, as we know, are our friends. Um, what are they? They are, some, but sometimes you don't want them around. So if you have a wound that is healing, bacteria can be very unhelpful for this process. Yeah, they can infect you and make you die. Exactly. Um, so for times like this, you need some antimicrobial weaponry. And the latest weapon that has been developed or is being tested um, in the arsenal against bacteria are actually zombie bacteria. So loaded with toxic silver, these dead bacteria can invade a live colony and wreak havoc, death and doom. How, how does this work? So what these dead bacteria harbour inside themselves are silver particles. So I guess they're a bit more like a Trojan horse than a, than yep, a, than okay. a zombie, really. Um, so silver has a long antimicrobial history. Um, Hippocrates um, first described these properties in 400 BC. Um, and what it does in the form of dissolved ions or cations, the silver attacks bacterial cells in two main ways. It makes the cell membrane more permeable, mm-hmm. so things can go through it, 
and it then interview interferes with the cell's metabolism. And so that leads to the, the production of reactive toxic oxygen compounds. So I'm guessing that's free radicals that mm-hmm. then wreak havoc in the cell and kill it. Um, so that's that's silver, and it's pretty nasty if you are a bacteria. Yeah, um, or a werewolf. Or, I was going to say, or a werewolf. Or a werewolf. Yeah. Silver yeah. bullets. Mm. Mm. Maybe there's a link here. Zombies and werewolves, yeah. Mm. Um, so these researchers are from Israel, and they what they did is they killed a bacteria, um, Pseudomonas aeruginosa, uh, so it's a common gram-negative bacteria. It can cause disease in humans and anim- other animals, and it's found in soil, water, on our skin, um, and most man-made um, environments in the world. So it's a pretty common bacteria. So they got this bacteria and they killed it by adding silver nitrate. Okay. Right. So it's in solution, and they die. Um, they then wash these kind of the cadavers, the carcasses of the dead bacteria, and then they put the dead bacteria with a live colony of bacteria, um, and they were still toxic. They killed the bacteria. So oh. what they were doing, they were harboring um, the silver inside them, um, that, and silver kind of slowly releases. as a, It's a metal that slowly releases yep. its cations, and so it has prolonged effectiveness. So it sounds very simple, really. Yeah, Um so the new so the new metallic kind of species are not deactivated by the killing mechanism of the silver and they kind of carry on their their killing biocidal effect. Um so like slow release. It's like slow release. Antibiotics. Yeah, mm. so they're not deactivated. I'm not quite sure what that means but it's still like a I don't know why they just add more like the silver that's already in the solution keeps killing the bacteria but apparently this is a better way perhaps right. to do it. To that they put so they're kind of absorbed into the colony, and they yeah, yeah they travel through. But they're not actually obviously growing and replicating themselves. They're just no, being, so they're yeah. not the, they're not the living dead. They're just the dead dead. Like okay. they're just really dead bacteria. Yeah, harboring silver particles. Um, so that's pretty great, perhaps for like um trying to keep bacteria out of our wounds for the same reasons. I think um that the silver releases its ions very slowly. Um, in terms of like silver nanoparticles being in the silver, being in the environment, mm-hmm. um, that, that, that is very kind of slow releasing. There could be lots of potential um, issues. And we've kind of talked about it before and Lost in Science, that if silver, silver gets mm-hmm. into the environment, that there could be um, problems in killing bacteria well, that we don't want to kill. kills good bacteria, yeah. It kills good bacteria. It might impact on the ecosystem. And it also has an impact on um, plants. So um, researchers found out that... Um, 50 days after an application of just like a single low dose of silver nanoparticles, um, the, it, the environment's produced around a third less biomass. So it ha- does have implications for the environment. Mm-hmm. Um, so I guess it's one to, to keep, a, keep, a, keep an eye out for what, how much silver we're putting into um, systems. And it would get there really um, in as a byproduct of sewage treatment plants. So this kind of wastewater sludge probably has quite a bit of silver and silver nanoparticles in it. So it could mine it? Potentially. High-ho silver. High-ho silver for antimicrobial activity. <laughs> That's it for another episode of Lost in Science. Lost in Science is, of course, recorded at the studios of 3CR in Melbourne. It airs across Australia on the Community Radio Network with the generous support of the Community Broadcasting Foundation. 
If you'd like to get in touch with us, please do. You can email us at lossinsci at gmail.com. You can find us on Facebook or you can find us on Twitter or we have a blog, lostinsights.wordpress.com or you can find us on the 3CR website, 3cr.org.au or you can listen to us on your radio same time next week. And once again, Beth, Stu and Chris will get Lost in Science! Thanks for listening to a 3CR podcast. 3CR is an independent community radio station based in Melbourne, Australia. We need your financial support to keep going. Go to www.3cr.org.au for more information and to donate online.